living with the victor, a charcoal fire, and us putting in some work. The difference between victory and defeat to say is, to say that it's a big difference is an understatement. I remember a, a, a few years ago now watching some college basketball. It was the March Madness tournament. It was the first round of the tournament. Michigan was playing Houston. Michigan was down by two points. And I think it was 3.6 seconds left in the game. Michigan had the ball, the inbound of the ball, a few dribbles getting past half court. As soon as they got past half court, the Michigan player threw up a heave. The ball went in, Michigan won. The Michigan players and their fans went berserk, running around the, on the other side of the court, piling on top of each other. Houston, on the other hand, their players, especially one player caught my eye, who's right underneath the hoop of which that ball just went into, is lying on the floor face down. The difference between victory and defeat can be the difference of running around with joy versus lying down, face down on the floor. Easter celebrates victory. Jesus' victory. And Jesus' victory becomes our victory. Paul, in one of his letters, he's writing his first letter to the Corinthians. He's talking about the sting of death and what that's like, what it does, the sting of sin. And then he goes on to say, he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. His victory becomes our victory. So therefore the whole Christian life becomes us participating in his victory. That that event happened means that it is happening in my life today. If the resurrection happened, that means it's happening in my life today. That means it has an impact on everything in my life. It has an impact on how I live, how I talk, what I believe, how I behave. It impacts my relationships. It impacts how I view myself. It impacts how I view the world. It's the lens in which I see and breathe and act. But unfortunately, a lot of times the problem is we, and when I say we, I mean I, oftentimes don't live in the spot of victory. Oftentimes I can live in a de defeated mindset. I'm not really living in the spot that the resurrection and that the victory because it happened, that it is happening in my life. And so that's why over the next number of weeks, we're beginning a new preaching series here entitled Living with the Victor. What does it mean for our life to live victoriously? What, what, what ought it mean? What, because the resurrection happened, what does it mean for my life? Our text today, we hear this beautiful gospel that has so many things going on, but one thing we hear is that Jesus is the victor. He's, it's, this is the resurrected Christ. And the victorious Jesus confronts Peter, but Peter's not living with the victor. Peter's leaving, living right now in a, in a defeated spot. We could say that for a number of different reasons and why that is. One thing our text tells us is, that, is at the beginning of the text, it says that Peter turns to his apostles or he turns to his brother apostles and says, I'm going fishing. And you're like, well, what's the big deal about that? He's a fisherman, fisherman fish. Except the Greek in that implies that maybe he's going to do it habitually. 
And one can understand that of maybe Peter who just left everything for three years, literally given everything to follow this guy who he's seen crucified. And maybe at the bare minimum, he just needs to clear his head as he try to figure out what's going on. And so he says, I'm going fishing. But something else is going on, something bigger. Because there's that one moment in Peter's life that he's not yet dealt with. That one moment that he hasn't told anybody else about. And that moment that haunts him. And of course, that one moment is when Peter three times denies Jesus. And even though he hasn't dealt with that moment yet, to be sure, it's probably rolling in his head and he plays it over and over and over again in his head. That night on Holy Thursday night when he was there and someone asked him, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And he says, no. Second time, a second denial. And the third time, the question was, you are, we've seen you with him. And one commentator says that Jesus or Peter's denial the third time was so strong, it was as if he said, may God damn me to hell if I even know who the man is. And Luke's gospel then says that as soon as that happened, the cock crowed and Peter's eyes and Jesus's eyes met. And then Peter left weeping bitterly. And up to this point now, Jesus has appeared to his, his apostles two other times. This is the third time. Last week we heard in the upper room conversations are happening. One conversation last week was with Thomas and putting the hands. You got to imagine tons of conversations happening, but there's one conversation that has not yet happened. These first two times Jesus appeared to his apostles. And that one conversation is the conversation between Jesus and Peter, because Peter's avoiding that conversation at all costs. He doesn't want that conversation to happen. But in order for Peter to live with the victor, Peter's got to confront his past. And it's the same as the case for you and me, which brings us to charcoal fire. So they're out there in the boat, they're fishing. Someone from the shore calls out and says, have you caught anything? And they say, no. And you got to wonder if these guys ever caught any fish ever, right? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus tells them to throw the other side upon catching a whole bunch of fish. They realize, John realizes that the person on the shore is Jesus. Peter, in excitement, jumps into the water, swims there, and they all realize that Jesus is standing next to a charcoal fire. What's the big deal about a charcoal fire? Well, there's only one other time in the entire Bible where a charcoal fire shows up. And it just ha so happens to be three chapters earlier when Peter was warming himself on that night, that Holy Thursday night, when he denied Jesus three times. So you got to imagine, you got to imagine Peter gets out of that water after he jumps in there and swims. He gets out of the water. He's brushing himself off, drying off a little bit. And he looks up and he sees Jesus standing next to the charcoal fire. You got to imagine everything in him is saying, um, I'm going to get back into the water. <laughs> because that charcoal fire for Peter represents the most painful, the most embarrassing, shameful, devastating moment of his life. And Jesus intentionally builds that charcoal fire. He intentionally builds that charcoal fire so that Peter would see it. Not to rub his nose into it, but for him to, to tell Peter, for him to know, it's like, I know all about it. 
I know all about that moment and it's okay. It's why I went to the cross. One way, one way we can live defeated lives is by not, and rather we can live defeated lives rather than living with the victor is having our past have too tight of a hold on us. Things in our past, maybe even things that we don't realize that are maybe just lurking there that we're avoiding that causes too much pain. Things that prevent us from receiving and giving love. As we talked about numerous times over the last number of months here, what's the point of the, what's the human heart want? We're made for love. We're made to receive love and to give love. And so there are things that can diminish and have us live defeated lives from our past that diminish the amount of love that I receive and live, whether it's relationships, whether it's whatever, our spouse, other people, conversations, even with students at, at school, other students at school, things that can diminish the amount of love that I can receive and give. The risen Jesus' desire is to heal our hearts of anything that prevents us from receiving and giving love. Because he's risen, he's alive, his desire is to do that. From anything that keeps us from moving forward. With Peter, he had it. So what does Jesus do? He's like, let's build a fire, let's know what it is so I can bring him back to that spot, we can confront it, I can go there, I can redeem him, I can restore him, I can have him in a spot now where he can move forward and live with the victor and not keep living in this defeated spot because of his past. Same is the case with us. What's your, what's your charcoal fire? What's mine? What's the thing, the event, the moment that maybe causes pain, embarrassment, shame? Maybe it's something stupid that we did when we were younger. Maybe it's like Peter, maybe it was a sin, or maybe it was an experience that someone did to us when we were younger, or maybe what they said to us that has caused us to push Jesus away, it has caused us even maybe push relationships aside some and prevents us from receiving and giving love to the extent that our hearts are were made for and long for because we haven't yet dealt with it and we haven't met the victor there. So many of us carry around things that keep us trapped even in the past. And the Lord says, you don't have to be trapped anymore. You don't have to carry it anymore. You don't have to live that defeated face down on the floor. So which leads us to lastly, putting in some work. For us putting in some work this week, and really it's a lifelong thing, but especially for us maybe being intentional this week with confronting our past, confronting possibly a charcoal fire, probably multiple charcoal fires. We put up a tool on the website. I created just this little document that I asked that you spend some time with this week and it breaks up your life into like six sections, zero to 12 years old, 13 to 19, teenage years, young adult years, young, etc. If you're here and you're only a teenager, just take your life in chunks from there and before. But it's going through and it's, and, it's, and it's looking at each stage and looking at what are the emotional, emotionally significant moments in each area here. What's, the, what's an 
the emotional significant areas from when I was zero to 12. The emotionally significant areas in my teenage years, my young adult years, in my 30s, in my 50s. What were the major experiences of sorrow? What were the major experiences of fear and anxiety in my teenage years? Major experiences of fear and anxiety in my young adult years. Good things too. What are the major experiences of love? And to go through each stage of our life to journal on those things. And sometimes even when we're sitting here right now, we may just say like, I don't, like, I don't, nothing's coming to mind. I don't think I have any charcoal fires or there's really nothing there that comes to me. There's, there's good chance there may be things that are even lurking there. It's like, no, it's not, it's just like an insignificant thing. It's not, no big deal. I remember working with a, with a young man in his thirties and he had come to realize and we were in a spot of him remembering when he was six or seven years old and his parents got in a heated argument. And at one point at the end of the argument in a rage, his dad had left, he got, left the door, went outside in the car. And this, this now 30 year old man remembers very vividly being a six or seven year old boy standing at the front door of the house, the screen door as his dad got in the car and left. And as he, and he's leaving, he remembers as a six or seven year old boy, just weeping uncontrollably crying, realizing that that had a hold on him, that it made him have this very in-depth feeling of a sense of abandonment. I remember for an insignificant thing in high school for me, thinking of, uh, here's a small farm boy who grew up in a, my graduating class in junior high was like 60 people. And then I go to this humongous high school. And I remember the first week of high school, every day in high school, I had nobody to sit with at lunch. Every day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of freshman year in high school, nobody to sit with realizing how it just implanted in my heart the strongest sense that I just don't belong, that I don't belong, and how that's impacted, it, it did impact my relationships, it impacted the amount of love that I could receive and also love that I could give. See, the, the point of doing this, doing these exercises is to facilitate a spiritual conversation a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with the risen, victorious Jesus. Because he's risen, because he's victorious, it's safe to go there with him. It's to have this conversation so that 30-year-old man, as I mentioned, he can go back there with Christ and realize that he's sitting, as he's there at the screen door that porch and watches his dad get in the car and he's weeping uncontrollably. He can know that and be there with the father and express his thoughts, feelings, and desires there at that moment. And then now as a 30-year-old man and the Lord can meet him there and say, you're not abandoned. I don't abandon you. I'm a father who will never abandon you and you're in my hand and he can be restored What's your charcoal fire? What's mine? Approach the fire as Peter did. Even if it's a something I don't want to go there, I can't go there. Peter, it was safe to go there. He could look through the flames and see Jesus standing on the other side. To be restored as he was. 
the victorious Jesus has risen from the dead and his resurrection, because that event happened, it's happening now in my life and it ought to impact how I confront the past to be freed, to be restored and to live with the victor.